I don't want to be a martyr. Nor I. I want to live. That is good. For believing what you do, we confer upon you a rare gift these days. A martyr's death. The cross commands you. The blood of the martyrs commands you. I wrote them down in my diary so that I wouldn't have to remember. All right, this is going to be a fun one, and, and the reason I say that is because this is one of those those areas of the world that I know just enough about to be dangerous, so I have to I have to actually work harder to get information, and you know how much I enjoy that. <laughs> but I do it for you, the people. So anyway, today we are going to late 19th, early, early, early 20th century China. <sighs> this could be entertaining. Now... Just as a heads up, China has, and when I say China, I mean most of Southeast Asia, has a long and convoluted history of both separatist society and collectivist society. And yes, those two things go together. Collectivist in how they operate with one another, separatist in how they operate with those people over there. And that's a lot of them. So if you imagine the closedness of Asia. So Japan, Korea, China, your main your main nations that people know about, then you are not seeing a new thing. You are seeing a a history that goes back millennia at this point. And I as a way of example, I always point to things like the the silk trade. So the Silk Road was running all the way back in the 1st, 2nd century B.C. And even at that time, it was a very controlled and careful trade. Throughout China's history, it and again, throughout Southeast Asia's history, the idea of maintaining a trade imbalance with the outside world was very, very desirable. Our goods go out, your money comes in, our ideas stay put, your ideas stay out, and that is very, very good. Now, that's great if you want an ideological monolith. It's not great in a rapidly industrializing world. So what ends up happening in Southeast Asia is you see that they are technologically backward. And that is the fault of ideology, as we've mentioned. It's also a fault of geography, as well as necessity. I mean, a great example of this is that the Chinese invent gunpowder. But firearms are really perfected and developed in the Western world. Why? Well, there wasn't really a need for them in the Eastern world. There wasn't really a necessity for how their wars were fought. China's great war throughout its history was against the Mongol people of the steppe, horseback riders. Um, early firearms were useless against people galloping on horseback, shooting you know 20 arrows a minute at you. You couldn't function like that. So they didn't develop firearms because they were useless. Cannon was useless. Guns were useless. The most important thing you, they would they could come up with was better ways to shoot arrows at people on horseback. It was a, a more a more needed munition at the time. So due to all of these factors, you end up in the 19th century with a Southeast Asia that is nye, a little bit behind the rest of the world. And you actually see this in things like the um, 
oh, what is it called? The Great Leap Forward in Japan, where they just they recognize after after getting their butts kicked in battle that you know we've got to do something, and within a relatively short period of time, industrialize their country to the point that they actually defeat Russia in battle. So. As you're coming into the end of the 19th century, a series of unfortunate events—sorry, Lemony—befall China. You have 1887, the Yellow River floods. Now, this is a flood that kills upwards of 2 million people. That's a lot in 1887. That would be a lot now. It's the second greatest natural—or the second worst natural disaster in human history outside of, you know, like, plagues and things like that. Not— uh, coincidentally, the worst natural disaster in disaster natural disaster in human history is the 1931 flood of the Yellow River, which killed uh, upwards of four million people. So that happens then. At the in 1894 1895, you have the first Sino-Japanese War. It's a grand total of nine month conflict in where Japan basically mops the floor with China to where China has to sue for peace and get you know degraded on the international stage and lose a bunch of money and people. In 1897, the Yellow River floods again. This is not as catastrophic as either the 1887 or the 1931 floods, but it is severe enough that it actually alters the course of the Yellow River. It's actually the course the Yellow River is on to this day. And of course, this is being blamed on outside influences. Enter into the Society of Righteous and Harmonious Fists. We know them as the Boxers. Begins in the 1880s. It is a group that is seeking to undermine, originally, governmental influence amongst the people, mainly because, though, the government was viewed as corrupted by outside influence. So they've rejected Buddhism. They've rejected, rejected Confucianism. They're becoming too Western. Because of that focus, it very, very, very quickly adopts an anti-Western stance and immediately begins terroristic attacks on foreigners, especially missionaries. Now, why? Because, again, you can find this going back at—by by 1900, you can go back almost 20, uh, 2,500 years to see the hopes and working towards an ideologically pure China— making sure that their values and ideals are preserved and that outside values and ideals are kept at arm's length. Hence the the steps in the Silk Road, the keeping out of foreigners, the, the wariness of things like even the Marco Polo expedition where we get information back, but it's very it's still very scant and and not believed because nobody can can fathom that that's actually going on. So this is not a new thing in China, and this boxer group is saying that, look, look at the problems. We've had these floods, the rivers change in course, we're getting our butts kicked in war. This is because of those ideas, and who is spreading those ideas? Well, Western culture becomes synonymous with Christian culture. So these terroristic attacks go out, mainly beatings. They would get a crowd together and, you know, beat some missionaries to death. You know, it's, it's a fun Saturday afternoon. So... In 1900, things begin to come to a head. Boxer Rebellion goes along. Now, 1900 is the bloodiest year for these terroristic outbreaks of the Boxer Rebellion. But throughout the entirety of it, you have this protest war against both colonialism and Western. Westerners, not Westerns. They probably would have liked a good Clint Eastwood Western, but I don't know. What's hysterical about this is the, the reason they're called Boxers is this Society of Righteous and Harmonious Fists practice this sort of martial art boxing that they thought and taught made them impervious to bullets. That's 
That's a philosophy. Now, they gain the support, this boxer group, of the imperial military, the uh, the Empress Dowager. I, I can't remember for how, her pronou- how to pronounce her name in Chinese. It's uh, is it Sichi, uh, I believe. I'm, I'm, don't quote me on that. Um, she gets the military in response. She's trying to ensure her power. They, uh, they, they begin with some coordinated attacks and riots breaking out throughout China, through most of the nation going all the way up into parts of inland China. Um, they get their butts kicked pretty quickly, end up having to pay reparations, end up having to execute some governors and public officials who encouraged the rioters and the boxers. Death total. This is where this gets amazing. 200 missionaries, 30,000 Chinese Christians. Now, for our purposes, we're, we're lumping Christians all together. I mean, we could, we could pick a knit, and you know I would pick a knit on Roman Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy and things like that. But they're all getting lumped in because the Chinese lumped them all in together. There are, there are many stories of people barely escaping being beaten to death. There's actually one group of, of missionaries. It's a family in their troop. The family's name is Goforth. That that's just providence right there, and they the only reason they escape being beaten to death is while the the main missionary and husband and father is nearly beaten to death, a group of Muslims actually rescue them because they said they couldn't look their God in the face, knowing that another person trying to follow God was was being killed. They couldn't join into the crowd, and so it becomes an interesting and odd little time. And by the way, when these crowds would go to work, this included women and children amongst the 200 missionaries and 30,000 Chinese Christians who are killed. They were trying to root this out, root and branch. Now, interesting story comes out of it. The one group that lost the most people was Hudson Taylor's, and if you know anything about missiology, you know Hudson Taylor is kind of a big deal. Hudson Taylor's China Inland Mission. They themselves lost 58 adults and 21 children. And that's primarily amongst their missionaries and their families. Now, what's fascinating about that is Hudson Taylor actually refused the reparations payment. His group was due payment because they had lost life and property and had been damaged and refused out of a desire to show gentleness and forgiveness to the Chinese people as a demonstration of the gospel. Now, why do we care about this story? Well, Christian, the world hates you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> even if they even if they're not like punching you and trying to beat you to death the world still hates you and this mindset that ideology drives how you behave is important because it's true I think the boxers were actually right. If you wanted to root out the Western influence, you're going to have to root out Western ideals. You're going to have to root out Christian ideals because that was what lay at the heart of what made those people what they were. So this is why, Christian, the world fights and wars against you. This is why sin doesn't take an afternoon off because your ideology is dangerous. Your gospel proclamation changes hearts and minds and reorients lives, and it is a testimony to the truth of who God is and the greatness that he has done. Now, the good news is, in the midst of this, God preserves his church, God preserves his people, and while they may be lost in this world, none of them are lost in eternity to him. So until we meet again, read your Bible. It'll do you good.